How confident are you when it comes to your relationship with God? Now, don't be too quick to answer that question. I don't want you to embarrass yourself. You know, I am amazed at the absolute confidence that people, that I sometimes see people having uh, in their relationship with God. You know, I mean, I hear statements like, well, I know I'm saved, and I know I love Jesus, and I, and, and, and it's not just this kind of confidence in, in God or Jesus, but often it is this kind of confidence they place in their church. You know, I know my church is right, and I, I, I know my minister is a man of, man of God. And, you know, if I were your typical preacher or minister, I would encourage you to just sort of, you know, not have to worry about anything. You know, you're, I would try to encourage, if I were your typical preacher, I would try to tell you, look, you're just fine just the way you are. You're saved, sanctified, and heaven bound, and you don't need to worry about a thing. And I would encourage you every weekend just to stay in your comfort zone and just to believe that you're okay and not question a thing if I were your typical preacher. But I'm not your typical preacher, okay? Now, one time I gave uh, what was referred to as a religious addiction test online, and I had some co- some comments that sort of reveals this absolute confidence in people's you know religion that I keep see I keep seeing this crop up again and again and again. This absolute confidence that people have in their relationship with God. But this religious addiction test went through about 21 questions to see if you are addicted to religion. It was questions like, I never questioned the minister or preacher, true or false. Uh, Church authority is always right, true or false. I never questioned my denomination's view of doctrine, true or false. Uh, My religion has been passed down from my parents, true or false. The more church activity I'm involved in, the more spiritual I feel, true or false. Joining a church makes you religious. All mainstream religion is good, true or false. The longer you've been in church, the more spiritual you become, true or false. Salvation is not a way of life, true or false. Grace plus nothing, is that true or is that false? Knowing the definition of sin is not important when it comes to salvation. Sincerity is all that is needed when it comes to a relationship with God. So that was just a few, just give you a few examples of of the type of questions that I was asking. Some of the comments I got back were this. One, One person wrote, said, I answered the question knowing where it was going. If I have any kind of an addiction, I am happy to say it is my religion. Now, that's the very thing I was trying to avoid there, but uh, this person says that this this is their religion, their addiction, I should say, their religion. My Facebook, continue quoting, my Facebook is for my closest friends and family, my Pope, my Archbishop, uh, my blessed, blessed Mary Mother. I wasn't aware that she was on Facebook, but that's another story. Uh, there's no interest in having Satan sneak in, so goodbye. Another person wrote, won't even watch after seeing the comments. Notice this person wouldn't even take the test. You know, I, I don't even care if I'm addicted to religion or not. I Forget that. I like it. But won't even watch after seeing the comments. I know the Catholic Church has the fullness of truth, and I pray the Holy Spirit works in your heart to see the truth. 
Again, you know, just this absolute confidence that I keep running up against when it people when it comes to their religion. Another ad that I ran one time uh, on the internet was I was advertising God's holy days, and I put very early in church history the Sabbath was abandoned for Sunday keeping, and God's feast days were abandoned for Christmas and Easter. Now that's that's a fact of history, by the way. That's, that's not a fact of theology. It's a fact of history of how this happened. But a person wrote back and said, I hate to disappoint you, but the Eucharistic presence of Jesus is so powerful in my Catholic church. By contrast, Protestant churches are just empty rooms. Sorry, the person writes. And, you know, again, it's just this absolute confidence and confidence that people have when it comes to their religion. And what I'm beginning to find out, when it comes to religion, truth does not matter. It, it just doesn't matter. I mean, what the Bible says about sin, what the Bible says about the law of God, what the Bible says, what the Bible's truth does not matter when it comes to religion. This is the one thing. All it's about is whether you feel like you have a relationship. If you just feel like you love Jesus, if you just sort of think that at one time in your life you're, you sort of invited him into your life and you sort of got some religion, then as long as you feel that, that's all that, that's all that matters. Truth, when it comes to the, today's religion, truth does not matter. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. A 16th century philosopher said the right method, that is the right method for approaching God, should begin with a profession of ignorance. Not only don't I know anything, I am positioned in such a way that what I think I know is probably laden with error, misapplication, and confusion. Yeah, I mean, this is so powerful, the way to approach God, the right method for approaching God. But what I found out is this. You can have a person who basically, you know, maybe has been in church 30 years and is totally ignorant about what the Bible teaches. And yet, over the t- even though they don't study their Bibles, they don't bring their Bibles to church, they are not systematically understanding the will of God and what's in the Bible, even though they don't do that at all, because they've been in church for so many years, they, they begin to develop this emotional feeling that, well, I, I dress up. Hey, I dress up and go to church, and, and I, I, I got to be, and they develop this confidence that is based on absolutely nothing. It's just based on their emotions, what they feel. They sort of think, well, because I've been going to church this long and listening to this little pep rally where the minister quotes maybe one verse, if that, during the sermon, it, that, that, that somehow that makes me religious. And again, like I said, truth doesn't matter. But this is a powerful concept, what this philosopher said, that the right method should begin with a profession of ignorance. Not only don't I know anything, I am positioned in such a way. In other words, this is the way I am. That what I think I know is probably laden with error, misapplication, and confusion. And, you know, I I think about when God first called me that 
I didn't I didn't come to God. When God first called me, I didn't come to God with God look at all but this knowledge that I am so smart, I am so educated, you know, I got my act together. That was not the way it was for me. Really, I mean, when God first called me, this is what I laid on the line right here. God, I mean, I I know this is you calling me, but I must confess that, you know, I I don't have anything to offer you. And it takes that, you know, it takes humility, humility to begin a relationship with God. Now, not only are people lacking this virtue today, and that is humility, on top of that, truth doesn't matter. I, I don't know how we've gotten to this point where truth doesn't matter. Most people will say, don't confuse my emotional religion with truth. As long as I feel something, that's all that matters. Now, the fact of the matter is that when you begin a relationship with God, you come to a fork in the road, and the road divides. It goes left and right. The road to the left says, I have arrived. There's a, there's a sign right there that says, "I you have arrived. The road to the right has a sign that says, the journey to knowing God. And there is only one correct road to take, and the only correct road to take is the journey to knowing God. But I have found that most people... When they get some religion, they sit down at the fork in the road at the sign that says, I have arrived. I am religious. I'm a God fearer. You know, I go to church. I dress up and I, I haven't missed a church service, you know, and that they sit down at that fork in the road with the sign that says, I have arrived, and they never think about anything anymore as far as what God's will is, what God, what does God want me to do today? Yeah, right now, today. They don't think about it. They just, you know, and you ever heard the concept of once saved, always saved? What is that? It is, I have arrived. Now, if you take the correct road, and that is the journey to knowing God, you're going to go down that road and you're going to have doubts. You're going to have many questions. You're going to have fears. And a lot of times you're going to lack the confidence in your relationship with God. Often confidence will be greatly lacking. But because of your faith, you keep walking that road. You keep carrying on. You don't give up. You don't stop. You keep walking down that road that says the journey to knowing God. And you're going to have to change on that journey your view of God what you've been taught, what you've been taught by your parents, what you've been taught by your church, all down this road to the journey to knowing God, you will have to make changes continuously. It's not just a one-time thing where you raise your hand and you say, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I've invited Jesus into my heart. No, no. There is continuous changing your mind changing often what you thought you knew about God. Well, I do this all the time. In fact, in fact, when I go back to listen to some some of my older sermons compared to, to to today, I realize, well, David, you've changed your mind about that subject. It's called growth. You know, it's called spiritual growth because I am on a journey to knowing God. Now, consider this: which is better? Dealing with the subject of confidence here. For someone to think they are converted and not be, or for someone to be converted and think they are not. You know, if you know you're converted, if you know, you know, you're going to say, well, look, I have arrived and you're not going to question anything again. 
But if you question your conversion, you walk that road, you know, the journey to knowing God. If you question your conversion from time to time, which is a good, healthy thing, as you travel that road down the journey to, through the journey to knowing God, you're going to be aware that there are pitfalls, there are temptations, there are stumbling blocks, and you're going to be more alert. You're going to question things, and that's a good thing. The person who goes around confidently saying, I know I'm saved, I know I'm converted, is really on dangerous ground because they're basing that on purely emotions, not so much on what they do day to day. And God is looking at what you do day to day. God doesn't give a rip about what you feel. You just feel like you're converted. You haven't earned any brownie points at all with God when it comes to you know your emotions. It's more about what you do. What does God want me to do today, right now? Now, I want to look at some people in the Bible who had absolute confidence, or so it seemed. First Samuel 15, verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I remember what Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, what Amalek did is he attacked Israel from the rear, where they would place the weak and the elderly. And this was a hideous thing in God's eyes because it was unfair. It was, you know, Amalek was not much of a man. He attacked from the rear instead of coming face to face with the head of the army. First Samuel 15, verse 3. Now, now go and smite Amalek, and God is talking to Saul here, and utterly destroy all that it, they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Skipping on down to verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fatling of the lambs and all that was good. And they would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuge, they destroyed utterly. So Saul did not carry out the word of the Lord. Because God says, destroy them all. Men, women, children, all of it. All of it. Just wipe it out. Now, I know people look at that and they say, oh, my, what a God. Well, you need to understand that Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. That, you know, well, that's another story. But you do need to understand that. But... People don't quite get, okay, how could a loving God do this? Well, you know, you don't know what this society was like. You know, I mean, it's like, how could God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, a lot of times God looks at the results of dysfunctional family systems, children being molested by their own parents or, you know, because you just don't know how rotten and evil these people had gotten in their worship. Yes, in their worship to false gods where they offered their children infant sacrifices, things like that. And so the only cure sometimes is just wipe them out instead of living, letting them live and bring children into the world where they're going to suffer and suffer and suffer. But anyway, that's another story. So God, Saul didn't carry out the orders of the Lord. In verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said, and to him, blessed be the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Now notice this. Here Saul says, now Saul didn't carry out the instructions, but he's got these ab this absolute confidence. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. You know, it's like people say, that, I know I'm saved. I know I'm religious. I know I love God. I mean, how, how can you have absolute confidence? How could Saul have absolute confidence when he didn't do what God told him to do. But he had convinced himself that he was right. 
He had convinced himself he was religious. He had convinced himself he loved God. All right. How do you not obey the word of the Lord and have absolute confidence? Well, just look at today's religion, if you want to answer that question. Just look at today's religion. It's not about truth. It's about feelings, feeling that you love God. And, you know, God said, you know, it repents me that I have set up Saul to be king. So here's a man who had absolute confidence, and he just fell flat right off the edge of the cliff. So we're asking How much confidence do you have when it comes to your relationship with God? Let's take a look at at another man, Peter. Peter said to him, to Jesus, Though all men shall be offended in thee, yet will I never be offended. Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Wow, look at this confidence that this man had. I mean, he is really something else when you think about it. And yet, we know what happened to Peter. Jesus said, look, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. But I'm just illustrating that, you know, I mean, here we're talking about, you know, sometimes you wonder, how come I don't have more confidence in my relationship with God? And so we're looking at men in the Bible who did seem to have a lot of confidence, and yet they were ready to fall off because of that confidence they had. They were ready to fall off the edge of the cliff. They were headed toward an incredible, what I call self-destruction, self-destruction. But they were confident. They had absolute confidence. I want to look at a, a contrast between you know absolute confidence and the lack thereof. This is found in Luke 18 and verse 10. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself and said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Hey, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, Standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So here we have, you know, the humble person is going to be lifted up, but the person who is who lifts himself up with all of this absolute confidence is about to fall flat on his face. And I think there's nothing wrong with internally, personally having confidence in your relationship with God. But when that confidence leads to boasting, you know, you you got to let other people know about your relationship with God. When it comes to boasting, often that is nothing more than an inferiority complex. And the person is struggling with the fact that they're really not doing what God says anyway, but they they put forth this 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 confidence that they have in God, which is nothing more than an inferiority complex often. So again, there's nothing wrong with personally in, in your prayer closet, in your relationship with God internally, you know, knowing that God loves you. Nothing wrong with that. But often when it leads to boasting, when that confidence leads to confidence leads to boasting, you've you've lost it at that point. So as we look at these examples, it seems people with absolute confidence were on the edge of the cliff, about to fall off. We see Saul, we see Peter, we see the 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 uh, publican. And you know, anytime you see a minister with a display, a show of absolute confidence, often they are about to fall flat on their face. They're headed for a fall. Now let's look at people who lack confidence in the Bible. 
Isaiah 6 and verse 1, In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved, and the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what are we dealing here with Isaiah? Absolute confidence? I don't think so. I mean, here's, I mean, just compare this to a typical preacher maybe you might see on Sunday morning who's seen a vision from the Lord. I mean, that's what Isaiah was seeing. He was seeing a vision of God, the power of God. But just compare that to maybe a preacher who, who you know, the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord told me to do this. The Lord told me I was going to die if I didn't get $10 million sent into me or whatever, and whatever kind of crazy stuff you hear in the area of religion. But, you know, if you just make that comparison, I mean, here was Isaiah that, that saw the glory of God, and he says, woe is me. I am undone. I mean, he knew his humanity, his frailty. He knew he was a sinner and compared, you know, sinner being compared and seeing the glory of God. It just wasn't good. So Isaiah didn't have absolute confidence. Well, let's consider David encounter with God's grace and forgiveness. I mean, think about it. I mean, here, here, here was a man about, he, he had sinned. He had committed adultery. And he's about to experience God's grace and forgiveness. Well, I've heard people boast about that one from time to time. Religious people boast about, you know, God's forgiveness and mercy. But let's notice David's attitude. Psalms 51 and verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may just be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you shall make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, here is a man, because of his sins, his confidence has been broken. I mean, absolutely broken, because you don't say things like, in sin did my mother conceive me, and and cast me not away, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, that's not the words of absolute confidence. That's the words of a man whose confidence had been broken. Abraham, another example, go sacrifice your son. And I know that story reads like Abraham had absolute confidence. You know, it sort of reads like, okay, I'll go do it. You know, go kill my son. But, you know, in reality, 
Abraham agonized over this. Absolutely just, it was not this absolute confidence with your head held high, oh, I'm going to go kill my son. No, no way, no way. Elijah. Now, I admit, at one time, Elijah seemed to have a lot of confidence. You know, if I'd be a man, God, a man of God, command that fire come down and destroy, you know, here was a band of soldiers sent out to take Elijah back. And, you know, he says, look, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and destroy you and burn them up, you know. And then a second band came out. Same thing happened. If I'd be a man of God, let fire come down and burn them up. Fire came down from heaven and it's shoom. Well, the third band of soldiers came out, and they sort of wised up. You know, they're looking at all these dead carcasses on the ground, burnt to a crisp. And the third band, you know, said, man, I ought to present myself in humility. And, you know, the third band, he sort of begged for his life, and Elijah came with him. But then afterwards, we find Elijah running from a woman, Jezebel, you know, thinking he was the only one left, you know. So... You know, we don't see this absolute confidence. And then we have Jonah running from God. Jonah, go to the town of Nineveh. I mean, God spoke to him, told him to go to the town of Nineveh. And Jonah Jonah runs away. Now, just compare that to your typical mainstream preacher. You know, the Lord spoke to me, told, told me to go to the town of Nineveh. And I'm going. I'm going in the spirit of the Lord, and I'm going to do great things, and all that nonsense, whatever. And then you have Paul asking God to take away the thorn in the flesh three times, you know. And then you have Jesus. Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to have to go through this. So we see, you know, example, example after example of people that did not have absolute confidence. Now, sometimes we ask Okay, why don't I have, why don't I feel, and I think that's the issue, we're wanting to feel something. I just want to feel I have a lot of confidence in my relationship with God. And often we realize that it is lacking. You know, why don't I have, why don't I feel more confidence in my relationship with God? Well, let me answer that question, why? Because you are a worm conforming to the image of God. There, there's a huge gulf between us and God, and you know, I, I don't know what, you know, that, that gulf is so great because we're flesh, we're human beings, we make mistakes, we sin, we fall short, and we're trying to conform to the image of God in character. And, 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 and so that's the reason often we lack. I mean, it's perfectly normal to lack the confidence or to feel confident when, you come, when it comes to a relationship with God. People who have encountered the real God did not have this absolute confidence. Their faith would carry them on in the midst of doubts. You carry on even though you don't have a lot of confidence. And after all, it's not about what you feel. It's about what you do. It's the fact that you get up the next day and put one foot in front of the other. First of all, get out of bed, put your pants on, whatever. But, but you know, that you carry on. That's what it's about. That's what God is looking at. God is looking at what you're doing, not so much about what you feel. Well, Proverbs 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord of all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Proverbs 28 and verse 26 says, He that trusts his own heart is a fool. Wow, what a statement. He that trusts his own heart is a fool. And one more verse. 
1 John 5 and verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him. Okay, we're going to read about the confidence that we have in God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, that's a powerful you know, concept there, but it has to be in line what we're asking for. The confidence that we have has to be in line with God's will. It, it's, it's, you know, it's not so much about your will. It's about his will and whether our wills are in line with his, what he wants. And you can have that kind of confidence in God, but it, it's, an, it's, not, it's not a display. It's not a show that we put on. Like I said, when you see showy religious people with all this confidence about they know the Lord and they trusting in Jesus and all this stuff, you got to realize that often that is an inferiority complex going on inside of them. You know, the easiest thing for Satan to manipulate and create in the heart of man is absolute confidence. It is. I mean, it really is. I once heard of a story of a woman who had been healed of something, you know, I, I don't know how major it was, but she knew she had been healed. God had intervened in her life and healed her. And yet this minister that was telling the story said you could not reason with the woman. When it came to showing her truth, she wasn't interested. She knew she'd been healed, and that's that. And you sort of have to ask the question, you know, if God did answer that prayer, if God did heal that sickness, if God did perform that miracle you've been asking for, where would you stand when it comes to absolute confidence. Would you go off half-cocked? You know, I, I, I know God's heard my prayer. I know he's healed me. Could God, and, and, and I may be dealing with one of the reasons why you don't see more miracles in your life, why you, why you haven't experienced, why you have not experienced that healing, is because you couldn't handle it. You know, it would go to your head and turn into absolute confidence. You wouldn't keep your humility So there are two sides. There are two groups of people. Those who seem to have absolute confidence in their relationship with God. And those, the other group, and this is the group that we need to be in, those who humbly keep serving God without any fanfare, without a display, without a show. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.